0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Tour Guide Talks, the travel show about the people we trust to teach us about local history, local gastronomy, local haunts, and who give us directions to great finds and secret experiences. In this show we are going to talk about our tour guides' travel philosophy and why they chose a career in this intriguing profession. With this show there is no need to write anything down. We will leave links in the show notes so you can reference the places that are discussed. Enjoy the show and thank you for coming along for this tour guide talk. As a side show note, Tour Guide Talks was born during the COVID-19 pandemic. In order to be a responsible talk show, recording has been done over phone lines, Wi-Fi connections, or over video conferencing. As a result, recording levels are not always perfect and sometimes there will be inconsistencies. Hello everyone. This is Alvaro with Tour Guide Talks and I'm so excited because this is the first episode of this new podcast. And while I was doing research to find out who was going to be my first guest, I was lucky enough to come upon this tour guide by the name of Laura here in Barcelona. And Laura, she's been giving tours for at least eight years. She is licensed by the government of Catalunya, which means she's an official guide. So we have official and unofficial guides, and we'll get into that during this talk. She has taught at the University of Girona, about an hour's north of Barcelona, teaching tour guiding. And so far, she has a 4.9 rating on TripAdvisor, which is quite impressive. She's a foodie who loves Catalan and Spanish cuisine. There is a difference, and we're gonna get into that during this talk. And she's an extensive traveler, has been around the world. She's a workout and fitness fanatic. And the most exciting news is that she's about to be a mother for the first time to a little girl. So welcome to the show, Laura.
1: Thanks so much, Ezra, for having me.
0: Well, I'm very excited about you being here. We have so many possibilities and different things that we can talk about. Uh, It seems like, uh, you know, where do we even start? Because uh, you're an official tour guide and I'm an uh, unofficial tour guide, meaning that we have both experience. We both have knowledge about Barcelona. I wanted, first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and then tell us a little bit about your travels around the world.
1: Okay, so as you said, uh, I've been working as a tour guide for the last eight years. Um, this is something that I really love. I love my job. It it became my passion. Actually, you could tell me, Laura, I'm gonna give you two thousand euros more if you do an office job, and I would say no way. I mean, I I would keep doing my my guided tours. I really love it. While being a tour guide, I have I also have the chance, especially in low season this would be the winter months, to travel a lot. I love to discover new places and also getting tour guides around the world to see how they work and and also learn from them, you know, because you can learn also from other tour guides around the world. My last trip was in Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. I did five weeks uh, traveling solo in Asia, Southeast Asia. It was amazing. And, yeah, I took different tours, uh, food tours, walking tours. Uh, it was amazing discovering. So
0: you being a tour guide and when we travel somewhere else the inkling is, oh, I now know what a tour guide means whenever I travel. So how has experiencing other tour guides changed the way you host a tour?
1: Well, I have to say, every tour guide is different and that, that has to be very clear. Um, there are different types of diving actually, you can be more emotional, have a very uh, more emotional style or more intuitive or more analytic. Uh, maybe you like to mention more days and numbers and um, years mm-hmm. of construction and, and other things. But getting other tour guides has taught me new impressions um, but you can do differently because I think also depends the way you tour. Where you are at, you know, it's different to be a tour guide in Southeast Asia than Barcelona than different countries. I think that the way of touring depends a lot on the country you're in, and obviously your your the way you do it, uh, mm-hmm. your personal skill, uh, as I said, emotional style, and so on. So I really think that. Taking tours with other tour guides can, can teach you a lot, for good and bad, you yeah. know? What or, not to do. <laughs> you, can, you, you can also learn that this is not what I really want to express to my guests. Correct. This is really what I don't want from, from a tour guide. So you can learn from bad as well.
0: When you're back at home, wh- where is home? Are you from Barcelona?
1: I'm not from Barcelona. I live in a little coast town uh, called Calella it's in between Barcelona and the city of Girona, mm-hmm. also very famous, very attractive for tourists. so I, I work in both cities. I work in Barcelona and Girona. That, that's great because living in the middle gives me the chance to to go to the to both cities and I'm actually in the middle it's great
0: How, how do most people because Girona uh, for you and I we know the beauty of Girona. Uh, we've obviously we've both been there. Uh, We understand it's very rich Jewish history. But when most people come to to Barcelona, they don't know that Girona is there. I guess now things have kind of changed with the growth of Game of Thrones. How do you encourage people to go to Girona? Because it's so crazy here in Barcelona. It's like, hey, go find this little town. How How do you get them to do that?
1: Well, it's true that some people don't know about it. And sometimes when I'm on a tour and it's about to end, Sometimes they say, "Look, Laura, we have two more days. What do you recommend?" And I always, it, the name of Girona always comes out of my mouth because I really, I'm really proud of Girona. I, I studied my my degree there, my master. City that I really love and it's amazing. So I always recommend it. But other people, they, that straight away they tell me, "We want to be with you in Barcelona, but also we want to do a tour in Girona." So, sometimes I combine the Dali tour and Girona, Dali in the morning, and then we go to Girona in the afternoon with a lunch break in between. And sometimes we just go to Girona, and most of the visitors that go to Girona are staying in Barcelona, and I meet them in Girona. They come with a high-speed train. I bought them the tickets. I do all the organization of the tour. And especially people that are ready off from Girona, especially if because of Game of Thrones or because it's a Jewish heritage. So maybe they have Jewish background, they know about it, they read about it, and they definitely want to come and see
0: So you mentioned Girona. something in that, going to Girona, you mentioned uh, Dalí or Figueres. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about uh, the connection and why people should go see it?
1: Oh, Salvador Dalí was amazing. I, I'm a big fan of this artist who happened to be a painter, well, he did a lot of things. He wrote books. He, well, was a, was a character also, was a showman. Um, he lived in the United States for a long, long time, especially during the Second World War. Well, I recommend visiting the that Dali Museum, especially for one thing, because this was his biggest and last surrealist production that he ever made. It's not a museum that was made by somebody. It's a museum that was designed by Dali. When I went there for the first time when I was a little girl, I might be I was like ten years old, and I go now, it hasn't changed. We cannot change anything. It's a little creepy because it's the same way it has been since it opened in the seventies.
0: Because he so, he lived in that house, right? That's he,
1: yeah, he, he lived in the museum well, in a in little side of the museum for the for his last four years. Um and he had different homes. Um, there's the that Dalinian Triangle, which connects three places. Caraquet, that's in the Costa Brava, mm-hmm. where, well, Porligat would be Porligat, the specific name. He has his summer house. Then Pubol, this is where he bought the medieval castle, a castle for his uh, wife, Gala. Mm-hmm. And then the museum in Figueras, it's the Dalinian Triangle. And it's a great combination Dalí Museum with Girona. It's perfect. You can go there. Uh, to Figueres in the morning, and then back in the afternoon. With a high-speed train, it's only for 14 minutes right.
0: Oh, wow. Really. There, there is one little yeah. fact that I do want to mention to our listeners, and the crazy thing about the Dali Museum in Figueres is that he's buried in that house, correct?
1: Yes. Many people don't know that. Yeah. He's, he's he's buried there. I won't tell you where, because we have to keep the mystery, I think, for <laughs> our viewers. But, yeah. Is actually buried there. It is amazing. Sometimes we are above his grave with my with my the guests, and they don't even know that. And then when I mention, they are, are like they they love it. Yeah, They're it's like,
0: crazy, right? And, I mean, the house, yeah. the house. I you know, obviously I've been there, but it's it's surreal. Uh, the history behind it it plays with yeah. your emotions the things that you see yeah. in there you know you're climbing upstairs to get visuals on yeah. things that he created and then the, the, there's there's paintings there that are playing with your eyes and you really get mm. into dali when you get into that museum and it's so anyone who has not been to that museum and is a big fan of dali uh, i you know i'm sure you're the same way that you just have to go up there and see it it's it's just an amazing Absolutely. place
1: Everybody said, he's mad, uh, he was a, he's a crazy guy, blah, blah, blah. But the more you know about him, the more the more you learn how smart he was. He yeah. knew about everything, about math and science and psychoanalysis from Sigm- Sigmund Freud and quantum physics, philosophy, the ancient Greeks, and he always, quotes. The only difference between a madman and I
0: is that I'm not mad. (laughs) One of my favorite quotes by Dali is someone asked him in an interview whether he was on drugs. And he says, no, he says, no, I'm not on drugs. I am drugs. I
1: am drugs. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely true.
0: It's so great. Okay, so back to Barcelona. Let's uh, talk about Barcelona a little bit. Uh, Like I mentioned in the beginning of this, there's so many things we can talk about. Uh, where do you even want to start with Barcelona? Um, we could talk food. We could talk art. We could talk Gaudí. We could talk Picasso. We could talk about the Gothic. We could talk about bike tours. We can talk about sculpture and street art. What is your favorite part of Barcelona that you like to talk about first?
1: Well, let me tell you something, Alvaro. And this is some, this, this is the reason why I love Barcelona so much. It has so much to offer that... Being a tour guide in this city is amazing because you can do a lot of things. You get never bored. For instance, you can do you can discover the, the old town, which is amazing, that it goes back from the 1st century when it was founded by the Romans to the 15th century. Then they demolished the walls, and we have this big extension of land it's called the, Champa, the new Barcelona, mm-hmm. uh, where you can find the most beautiful modernist homes designed by Gaudí and other great architects, such as Luis Dumelaki Montaner, Pucci Caracal, because we always talk about Gaudí, and he's the main star. We, mm-hmm. we cannot uh, I mean, that's for sure. But we have many other architects and many other buildings. Like, for instance, one of my favorite places also is, besides Sagrada Familia, obviously, is the Hospital Pau, mm-hmm. And that's a hidden gem. Not many people know about it. And when I take my clients to there, they are really impressed. Because it too,
0: said, is a, it, too, is a UNESCO yeah, heritage site, isn't it?
1: It's, it's a UNESCO heritage site, right. and it's unbelievable. And sometimes people tell me, Laura, I'm so glad that you took us here. We would never have discovered this place without you. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Palabra Musica Catalana, as well, from the same architect, right. um, that's more well, well-known. Uh, but it's, it's also a UNESCO site. Barcelona has the mountains, has the Olympic uh, ring. We can see where the Olympics took place in 1992. This is where Barcelona changed completely. We always talk about the before and then after the Olympic Games. Um, 1992
0: for our listeners that don't know. 1992,
1: that yeah. Before the Olympic Games, to put that on perspective and to understand how big we are talking, before the Olympics, Barcelona was receiving about 1.5 million visitors. Today, we're getting, well, not really now, (laughs) but before March, before the pandemic, we were receiving about 30 million people a year.
0: That's that's unbelievable. And 30
1: million, so it's really a big change.
0: So for our listeners, uh, I'm I'm gonna leave this timestamp on here because I think it is significant, but uh, this podcast was created out of the pandemic the Corona or the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's mm-hmm. where this was kind of the idea was created and, and that's why we're starting. So uh, that is why we are not together. I am in my bathroom at home and you're at your home. And that's why we sound totally different here. And uh, yes. if, if, if things weren't the way they were, we would be together in a in a cafe, having some uh, cortados and having or cavas, I'm not sh- No, you you would have, no, I guess you can't have cortados right no now cava. either. Yeah. So no but, uh, I'm going to leave the tam- the timestamp on there so that people realize that this was uh, recorded during the, the pandemic. But either way, the numbers are impressive. And uh, right now, it's very strange uh, to be in this city without it being you know, full of people. And, and I guess that's kind of a two sided coin, right? Because sometimes uh, as we live in Barcelona, the tourism can become a little bit
1: overwhelming, overwhelming.
0: But now there's yes. it's quiet and it's strange.
1: Yeah, it's really strange. But this is the new situation we are facing. It's the reality the one we have and we will have as you do as we are doing, you know, we are we have to adapt ourselves uh, yeah. by doing podcasts like you do or now to get to, into virtual tours, which is coming very popular I think. Yeah. It's I not the same experience that. obviously, but at least it brings a little taste of what you can experience in the future.
0: So tell me, what type of tours do you host here in Barcelona?
1: The number one tour is about Antoni's Gaudi' legacy, Sagrada Familia, La Pedrera, the Casa Batlló. These are private homes he built in the late nineteenth, beginning of the twentieth century for rich families in Barcelona that became very wealthy thanks to the textile industry.
0: Yeah, the industrial revolution. Um, yeah,
1: the industrial revolution, which was very powerful in in especially Catalonia area. We barely had industry the rest of Spain, of course in some areas, but not as the textile business in, in Catalonia wasn't like anywhere. Those families were asking the best architects to build their private homes. So sometimes I combined the old town with a little bit of the new section of Barcelona so people get an idea of how the city developed throughout the years, throughout the history and centuries. Sometimes they do the Bourne neighborhood, which is the medieval part of Barcelona, and Picasso Museum, because there are places related to him and his life. Picasso was not from Barcelona. He was born in Málaga, in the southern part of Spain, and he moved to Barcelona when he was a teenager. He was about 15 years old with his family, because his father became a teacher in the Fine Arts School of Barcelona. The Picasso Museum I have to say it's also very interesting because it's the only Picasso museum in the world that opened while he was alive. We have the Picasso museum in Paris, in Malaga, in other places in the world. They opened all um, all of them after his death. This was opened before he was. That well, that is really interesting
0: died. because um, the place in the Born that you just referred to yeah. that is not one of the most uh, well. It's still heavily trafficked, or people do go and visit that part of Barcelona, but. Uh, you kind of have to know where it is Uh, you just can't find it on a map and easily get there you have to kind of you know find your way either you can use uh santa maria del mar to use Mm -hmm. that as a landmark and then find it from that direction i wonder whether he picked that location in the born specifically because it was kind of hidden and kind of away from the gothic center Mm
1: -hmm. well you know when, when the museum was well picasso was living in, in France, he was exiled because he was a communist. Mm-hmm. And at the time when the the museum was being designed, we had this dictatorship. So Picasso and Franco, they didn't got really along. So he was exiled and he said, I will come to Barcelona once Franco is no longer in power. Mm-hmm. So he had a secretary called Jaume Sabartes, who was in charge to look after a location, um, they were set, writing letters to each other. Jaume Sabartes would say to Picasso, look, I found this place in this area. I'm going to buy this building so we can put your works of art. And by the way, it could not be called Picasso Museum. It had to be called the private collection of Jaume Sabartes. Oh. Yes. Um, so Picasso sent pictures, um, paintings. sorry, um, lots of paintings. Also, the family sent and gave uh, paintings to the museum, and Picasso said, I'm gonna to come to my Picasso museum in Barcelona once longer, um, Franco is no longer in power. But unfortunately, Franco died in 1975, and Picasso died in 1973, Wow! so yeah. he never got to see it. So there was somebody arranging all that while he was on exile. But now, yeah, That's a, that's a but very one... interesting
0: story in itself, right? Because Picasso was in self exile, right? He chose not to be here while Franco was in power. It wasn't
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah, because he didn't, uh, uh, most people didn't, and the Spanish Civil War is a whole different, not only podcast, but a whole different episode and series of different shows that you could do just on the Spanish Civil War. But it's complicated, and these are the types of things that happen to not just Picasso, but just Spain in general. You had cousins yeah. against cousins and brothers against brothers. And I think that's consistent with every country that has a civil war. Uh, so it mm-hmm. was a very difficult time. And you know, we understand that absolutely opposed to what Franco was doing. The other uh, sculpture in Plaza Nova, which is by Picasso too, mm-hmm. uh, that's also a very interesting uh, connection, I think, between Franco and the Spanish Civil War.
1: Very, yeah. Many people had to go and, and be exiled. Uh, during the the Spanish Civil War, uh, and many relatives have to go to France, which was the nearest country. Mm-hmm. So, and many people were killed just for having different thoughts. So the Republicans, we will call, yeah, yeah, no,
0: it, Republicans
1: it's... would be the liberal, liberal side in Spain,
0: right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, and, and guess, and then we can talk about anarchy as well, right? Because the two of them, yeah, were anarchist
1: communists and anarchist communists and anarchists were like on the same side, fighting against Franco. And then we had the fascists, what we will call
0: the more nationalists. You know, it's it's amazing to me. And during my tours, I explained to people about the Spanish Civil War and that it's still a very touchy subject, right? You still find mm-hmm. people that do not like talking about the Spanish Civil War because. Mm-hmm. The generation that experienced Franco's brutality can remember it, and they don't want to talk about it. You know, whether we even find pieces that make reference to the Spanish Civil War, we don't find very many of them uh, in Spain at all. And uh, outside of the, the Valle de Caídos, so the Valley of mm-hmm. the Fallen, uh, that was in the mm-hmm. news just six months ago when they exhumed his body and moved it to a private location, right? So, yeah. So... Um, uh, that history in itself. Do you how 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 much of the Spanish Civil War do you talk about during your tours?
1: Um, I do talk about it um, because it's it's important to mention. It's it's a fact of our past, very very important and very recent actually. We had forty years of dictatorship. Franco won the war um, in nineteen thirty nine, but we had him in power until nineteen seventy five, and then we we got the the king of Spain, he put the king of Spain in charge. That's why uh, many people did not agree with that because the king of Spain was chosen by the dictatorship, a previous dictatorship, you know. So I really have to talk and mention about the Spanish Civil War, um, especially because white Catalans think the way they think today also. It's a heritage that we have that made a lot of people having these Independentist ideas about Catalonia. So mm-hmm. it's important. This is what many people ask me as well.
0: So why why don't we get into that? So many yeah, people come. Absolutely. Some so many people come, uh, like myself. The first time I came to Catalonia, I came to Barcelona. I was expecting for everyone to speak Spanish, and then I realized that mm-hmm. nothing is written. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> nothing is written in Spanish here. It's uh, the street signs. Uh, you know the street names. Uh, are written in Catalan, which being Catalan, I'll let you explain it, because you can do a better job than I can. But when most people come here, they're a little bit confused, especially if they come from Latin America, because they're like, well, I'm in Spain. Why am I not seeing everything in Spanish or Castellano, as they would say here? And uh, so Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about the Catalan language and that it's a melting pot of all these different directions coming into one?
1: Well, it's it's very interesting in we all speak spanish in the country of spain yeah but there are certain places where where they have their own language for instance we can talk about catalonia so we speak both catalan and spanish mm-hmm. it's catalan it's a latin language and it doesn't come from spanish it's not a dialect it, it's a it's a language because it has its own grammar vocabulary and we are taught in Catalan at school. That's very unique. It's, it's unique anywhere else in Spain. So, all the education is in Catalan 100%. Obviously, we do Spanish lessons, mm-hmm. grammar and literature, but math, science, history is all in Catalan. Then, if we go to the Basque country, you might know that in Bilbao, San Sebastian, Vitoria, and all this area, they speak another language as well, which mm-hmm. is Basque. Euskera. And they both speak the both languages, Euskera and, and Spanish. We don't know where Euskera comes from. It's one of the oldest languages in Europe. I don't understand a word of what these guys say. Me, I mean, neither do I. You're not alone. <laughs> nothing, nothing. I mean, for instance, the, the people that live in Galicia, in the northwest, on the top of Portugal, they speak Galician. And it's very close to Portuguese. And I can understand a few things, because it comes from Latin, like Italian, Romanian, Portuguese, French, uh, Catalan, you know, but yeah. when it comes to Basque, it's very, very
0: unique. To your point, it is a, a Roman uh, or Latin-based language. It's a
1: Roman based yeah. so, absolutely. It's a Roman language.
0: Right, so we can get French, uh, Italian, the Portuguese, we can get Catalan, Spanish, and there's certain words that they all share, right? And so yeah. as a non, as a Texan, that now lives in Barcelona, I now follow Catalan about 40%, 50% maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, so, the, you know, I, I, I knew nothing, but then because I have a Latin language background, I'm able to mm-hmm. pick it up a little bit easier. And so, as the same with Italian, the same with Portuguese. But when I hear uh, the Basque speak, I mean, absolutely, they might as well be Nothing. speaking uh, Russian. It's just so foreign to my ears, it makes no sense. And I guess, what are some of the theories of where that language came from?
1: Well, they don't know, really. They, they, it's it's isolated. It's an isolated language. It doesn't come from anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It has no... It's Latin... Well, Catalan, Spanish, these languages come from Latin, has been gradually developed throughout the centuries into different languages, but... Um, Euskera is an isolated isolated language. It it comes from the Basque country, so it comes from there. Yeah. From all, so uh, yeah. People See.
0: learn about Catalan and they recognize that there is a language difference. And like you said, it is its own language. It does share some words with Castellano or Spanish, but it is its own language. But people also find out that it is a little more it, it it goes a little bit deeper right because catalans as i've learned living in barcelona uh, have mm-hmm. a lot of pride in this distinct tradition and this distinct mm-hmm. cuisine and this distinct way of viewing the world and and many times it is not in line with the spanish government uh, i want us to talk a little bit about what's going on in catalonia and whether you bring it up during your tours right because as tour guides we want to give an informative tour we want them to learn both sides uh, at least i do uh, some uh, guides that i've spoken to are not as as equal they do have a perspective on it um, how do you how do you involve the catalan how, how do you define this tension between the catalans and the spanish government or traditions
1: um, I always say that the Catalan people have their own identity. It's very... Um, you can really see the identity of Catalan people. It's, a Catalan person has nothing to do with an Andalusian. I mean, it's very different. They right. have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the topic about, well, I guess, the politics and what's going on about the secession, the, the referendum and everything, as a tour guide... I'm dealing this conflict in a very, very objective manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think, I really believe that a professional tour guide would never, ever say the, 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 its own personal view. I mean, I would never tell to my guests what I think about the independentism. If I'm independentist, if I'm not independentist, I would never give that answer. Even sometimes I've been asked. Um, I try to skip somehow. Right. Uh, I think that it's a complicated issue um, because people that come to Barcelona, they have to experience it in a very objective way. I explain what's going on. Obviously, I tell them about the referendum, about why the independence Catalans, think differently, what they want, what the non-independents want, the, their point of view. And I try to 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 deal with this conflict in a very, very objective way. I think uh, as a professional tour guide, they don't want to know your opinion you you don't have to give your opinion mm. your personal opinion doesn't count it's like when you go to a bank do you want what the banker thinks about what's going on I think it's it's not what it has it, 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 it doesn't have to be this way um some tour guides give their opinion it's their own decision, but I do not take part on that absolutely not yeah, it's but the- I have to give. I have to give the information, absolutely. And I always talk about the the independence of Catalonia, what's going on, everything, but in a very objective way, which is sometimes difficult. But
0: I agree with I that. I have to... Because yeah. as people, and I go on tours, when I speak to some, you know, and, and I'm giving presentations, and then I'm trying to be objective, as you say, and saying, okay, this is why they believe this or why uh, they feel this way. They look at me and they're like but what do you think as an american yeah. <laughs> and i'm like uh, <laughs> it's it's a difficult situation because you're you're yeah. catalana and so you're trying to be objective and then i'm an american and then i'm mm-hmm. trying to be objective and it's a very interesting push pull because people do ask yeah. me outright what do you think what do you think's going to happen uh, you know i guess privately after a tour you can get a little bit more specific about how yeah. you feel about it. But as a presentation, that's that's very that's very difficult to do. Yeah. So but it you know, yes. we can't avoid it because there are some but political about, but about
1: anything, about anything. Sometimes I get US visitors and they ask me what I think about their president. I would never answer that. <laughs> yeah. I mean never I would never get into that, whether they are Democrats or Republican. Yeah. Never, never that would be a really big mistake because I think it's a very, you are a professional tour guide and you're an ambassador of the city and you cannot give an opinion about something political. You have to explain what's going on and that's it.
0: Isn't it interesting how how people view you as a tour guide? Because as tour guides, we're in a kind of a special position as a, being a teacher. Not, um, yeah. A guide is a loose word for uh, let me show you, let me educate you, let's have a good time. Yes, but then the position of a guide I've learned is a little bit like uh, all of a sudden I'm a teacher and you are my students and all students want to know what the teacher is thinking. You know, give me the answer. I want to know yeah. what, your thoughts. and. It's a very interesting position to be in whenever you are trying to be objective. And I think you're right. The The professional tour guides would be objective in trying to give the information as is and let the client come up with their own conclusions. And if you can get them to come up with mm-hmm. their own conclusions, you've done a great job. So, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah,
1: I think yes, they have to arrive to their own conclusions while visiting somewhere uh, instead of giving the conclusion from somebody, you know. Yeah. So they have to come up with a... Conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. It's when you teach, when you're a teacher, yeah. um, that if you are a Catalan independentist or not Catalan independentist, if you're teaching about the Spanish Civil War, you might, you might give some personal point of view to the mm-hmm. students, and I think it's wrong. I think you have to be objective and explain what happened and not giving your opinion. I think it's the same as a tour guide.
0: Uh, tell me a little bit about the food situation, because I did mention that you love Catalan cuisine and you love Spanish cuisine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me yeah, the difference yeah. and, and how you would take someone on a foodie tour.
1: Okay. In Catalonia, as well, you know that in Spain we have 17 different regions, and each region has its own cuisine and dances and folklore and mm-hmm. uh, all these 17 different regions. Catalan cuisine is different than the Spanish one because of certain dishes. Obviously we have the same basic Mediterranean base, like uh, we have olive oil, we have the tomato, we have the peppers, we have the garlic, wheat, not the the bread. Um, So we have the basics. We share that because it's Mediterranean diet. But then there are certain dishes that are very typical from Catalonia that you cannot find them anywhere else in Spain. For instance, I don't know if you've been traveling around the country that the bread with tomato thing, it's only in Catalonia.
0: Right, right. The bread with
1: tomato, so it's very typical to get a toast or a piece of bread and a house of one specific kind of tomato which has a lot of juice and you rub it on the top, you put some olive oil and garlic or a pinch of salt and you're in heaven because it's delicious. <laughs> but then in the rest of the Spain, they don't have that. They, the, the sandwich or the bocadillo, as we say, comes without any with tomato.
0: Right.
1: And I get upset. I bought my bread with tomato. Very Catalan, you know?
0: And and on the flip side of that, when I first came here, I was like, what are you doing putting tomato on my bread? Because the first couple of times (laughs) I was like, "Uh, doesn't that make my bread a little bit soggy? But then I realized later, after I had it several other times, is that I just got a bad version of tomato on, on my bread. I would get some I better see. versions of it and now it's to die for, I, I just can't. Uh, well, whenever we go out, whenever restaurants will open again, it has to be done a certain way or, or I don't like it. But once it's done the right way, oh, it is to die for.
1: It's amazing, I love it. It's something very, very and mm-hmm. we, we really love it. And actually our breakfast breakfast would be like that. Some, some bread with tomato, and then we put some cheese on the top or some ham. Um, it's very breakfast. It's salty in our tradition. Yeah. In, in all Spain, in general, we have a lot of um, fish dishes as well. Paella, obviously, but then we have certain dishes that are very typical from the area of Catalonia that you cannot find them easily in the rest of the country.
0: Yeah. How many of your how many of your clients understand or know who Bulli was, and do they bring it up, or do they come here because? of the influence of such a, a great and famous chef?
1: They don't really mention the bulli anymore. They know about Serranadria, but uh-huh. the Pulli is closed right now, but they do know about Senera Candrata, many of them. And actually, that's in Girona, by the way, it also, Girona became famous because of the great restaurant that these three brothers have. And um, some people that reach a tour in Barcelona, maybe they have a booking for Senera hmm and, uh, yeah, they, they love it. And they know that the cuisine in, in, in the city, in Catalonia, is very rich. It's very rich in, in, not rich, it's very important, yeah? So, Catalan cuisine is very, very important. And we have, um, if I'm not wrong, in Catalonia, the highest number of Michelin stars in the whole country. The, the highest number of restaurants with um, Michelin stars.
0: Yeah. No, I... I in Cat- in
1: Catalonia in general.
0: You do have people that come specifically for the Catalan cuisine, and it's impressive what, what it's done uh, around the world. And, of course, having some famous chefs from here uh, doesn't, doesn't hurt. And kudos to you for continuing these food tours. Uh, it is important that people come, know the differences, and to know where to go, which is, of course, very important because you don't want to go to a bad spot, right? Where would you... If someone were to come to Barcelona, where would you tell them not to go?
1: Okay, that's a good question. Well, um, it might surprise you. I always tell them not to go to La Rambla.
0: <laughs> I was going to say the same thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, I always tell them, okay, if you have an hour, go and walk a little bit just to see the famous boulevard. Yeah. But if you go instead down the water, if you go upwards, Mm-hmm. La Rambla of Catalonia, which is from Plaça de Catalonia towards the north, so towards the mountain, it's way nicer. It's way more local atmosphere, right. um, expensive shops, expensive restaurants, and they might find themselves in a more local ambience, which La Rambla is more touristy. Right. And, of course, they have to go, and, of course, they have to see the market, La, La Boqueria. but then I also recommend other markets that are not so well-known um, and they compare them and they love them. Uh, Boqueria is a must-see. Yeah. Sometimes it's overwhelming because it's so crowded. But I, I think it's important to see La Boqueria, for instance, and it's in La Rambla, so you have to go to La Rambla to see it. But um, there are certain places in Barcelona that, even though they are too touristy, they have to see them at least a little bit just to make sure you've been there. Wouldn't yeah. you go to the Fontana di Trevi in Rome and you know that it's going to be packed and full of people and crowded. But you will go because it's a sightseeing. It's, a side thing. it's a, an icon of the city. So La Randa, I, I sometimes I say to them, do not eat in La Rambla. Oh, absolutely or not. Be careful, be careful with the tourist traps and all those things. Have a little walk. Go down to the statue of Columbus. But do not spend much time in there. There are other places that are worth uh, better than,
0: than, 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 yeah i i would agree uh, i would still. agree with that 100 percent. you know you do have to go to the boqueria uh i think the bocaria is there so th- there's so much eye candy there if you want to take some great photos of fish that are yes. still moving uh vegetables and the brightness of the fruits that they have there, uh, sh- local chefs go to it to pick food i mean it's it's worth seeing but Absolutely. then but but like you said Every place has a tourist trap. And for me, La Rambla is that place. And, and you're right, it's a great place to people walk and to, or to people watch and take a stroll down, but uh, be there, don't spend crazy amounts of time there. Do not eat and at a thing. restaurant there and then go somewhere else. I, I couldn't agree with more. Just a
1: little walk and then go somewhere else.
0: Absolutely agree. With, uh, with that being said, this is gonna be your last question. And uh, I, by the way, I've loved this conversation. It's so much fun. Tell us a little secret that people don't know coming to Barcelona and that they should go see in the city. Uh, Girona and Figueres, I understand, uh, but those are almost day tours. What's a little secret that most people don't know about and they should go experience here in Barcelona?
1: Do you mean in the outskirts of the city?
0: No, no, I mean in Barcelona. Like tell us a little something that someone doesn't that only a guide or only a local will know that people should go check out?
1: Okay. There are different neighborhoods that are really fascinating. I love, for instance, the neighborhood of Gracia, which is at the top of um, Paseo de Gracia. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a fascinating neighborhood, and uh, it's very local as well. Um, They have these amazing diversity of different squares in Gracia, very popular where people love to hang out. There's music, there's terraces. It's, it's beautiful. Gracia, then um, I like also the labyrinth of Horta. Orta is a, a neighborhood as well. There's a labyrinth made of um, hyping, uh, sorry, cypress trees, uh-huh. beautiful in the top of the city. Mm-hmm. And Again, I will mention it again. Hospital San Pao yeah. its a hidden gem, and many people don't know about it. And, and it's one of my favorite places in the city. No, and um, it's, and it's I right there. I, I
0: would agree with that. You know, I, I don't want, and I, I want to kind of say an extension of this—that there are two San uh, uh, Paus in Barcelona, right? There was the original sure. one uh, that is in Draval. Uh,
1: in Draval, that's the first
0: one that's the first one and from then it the got moved centuries? up to the to the big one and the big one is just a walk up a rambla from Sagrada Familia so uh, yeah uh, you know I think we started talking about that in the beginning of this show uh, but I, I I would agree with you people need to go see that because the architecture uh, is, is amazing and will blow your mind just uh, if your mind wasn't blown by Sagrada Familia you know take another step up the hill and uh, your mind gets blown again it's amazing Uh, Well, thank you so much, Laura, for spending this time with us. I I cannot tell you uh, the the immense joy it is to talk to another tour guide and to share ideas and to give some secrets away that most just travel shows won't do. So if you're interested in finding Laura or Laura, you can find her at her website, which is Laura Tours Barcelona. No funny spellings, just Laura Tours Barcelona barcelona.com you can find her on facebook at uh, facebook.com and then slash laura tours barcelona and you can also find her on instagram at laura underscore tours barcelona so again that's laura underscore and then tours barcelona Uh, if people want to get in touch with you they can get uh, send you an email through your websites correct
1: that's correct thank you so much Yes and they can find uh, some tips and recommendations about Barcelona in either Facebook or Instagram, yeah.
0: Well, Laura, I had a great time, and thank you so much for spending some time with us, and uh, we will see each other up the road. Congratulations on being pregnant for the first time. Uh, you told yeah, me during, during the, the pre-show that your baby is due on the, on the 4th of July, which is a big deal to us Americans, so uh, either way, yeah. congratulations. You're gonna love it.
1: Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll uh, it talk was to a you pleasure soon. being with you and answer all your questions about uh, our profession It's yes. amazing to, to have this one on one conversation. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You will find the show notes on our website at tourguidetalks.com. We will leave a link in the show description. We would love to hear your feedback. You can get in touch with us via our website or on all major social media platforms with the handle at tourguidetalks. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any secrets or new information on your favorite travel locations. If you have a show idea or know a guide that should be on this show, please be in touch. Thanks again, and please pass the show on to another travel enthusiast, ciao.